0: You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It's long-form one-on-one conversations with a veteran in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events in order to reinvigorate and re-energize American theater and the live performance arts. My guest this week was John Jory. Uh, don't stop what you're doing and go check out John's Instagram page or anything like that. I'm not even sure he has one. I could go look and I probably should have. Um, So if he is on Instagram, by all means, go ahead and follow him, but don't stop what you're doing to go run and check because I'm pretty sure he doesn't. And that's mostly because his accomplishments really occurred long before social media and have continued up to this day. But you know, so much of the body of his body of work has happened long before social media that he is not someone that's, Come to need social media in order to, you know, trumpet his successes and what have you. Um, He doesn't need a social media following. His name carries an awful lot of weight. Why? Well, there's probably a phrase that's been coined about John, and I probably should have done more reading and I'd probably know what that phrase is. But I'll tell you how I think of him Um, I think of John as, if not the godfather of American regional theater. He is maybe the architect, the engineer, the tip of the spear, the uh, uh, trendsetter, the game changer for American regional theater. He uh, was there for the foundation of the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. He was the first artistic director at Long Wharf in New Haven. And then for 31 years, he was the artistic director at Actors Theater of Louisville, where Maybe even most significantly, he founded what has to be uh, the premier playwriting festival on the planet, the Humana Festival, um, which certainly, you know, I think has become synonymous with Actors Theatre of Louisville. So, uh, you know, since he retired from Actors Theatre of Louisville, John has, you know, taught at University of Washington and UCLA, um, and we talk a little bit about that, but. You know John's contributions to American theater are uh whew, prodigious and very hard to um find anyone else that comes close to doing what he did there's certainly great world-class producers that have done great things um on Broadway and, and you know in Chicago and what have you it's just that John's um, span of control for so long dating back you know to the early sixties is just legendary. Uh, and, and the fact that each of those theaters, the Guthrie Long Wharf and actors theater of Louisville are, I mean, you can think of a handful of other regional theaters that fall that, that are on that echelon of excellence. Um, but those are three phenomenal ones. Um, so for what he's done for theater, it was uh, just on that level. It was great to talk to him. Of course, what frequently gets brushed over when anyone talks about John Jory is his military career. Um, and by career, that's probably a bit too formal a, a term for it. You know, it was he was drafted, and it was it was uh, that that lull in between Korea and Vietnam where there was no active war going on. So I get that it's not something people would ask about automatically, or even. Um, care to ask about because they would assume it's not super eventful. And as John describes it, they might be right, but like we've talked about on the show before, I I don't know a veteran who didn't have um, some significant emotional events due to their service. Um, In John's case, it seems like there were a couple of really interesting takeaways. Um, I should caveat this whole interview by saying we didn't have as much time uh, as I would have loved to have had. With I could say that about a lot of people we've interviewed. Um, In John's case, I had a hard uh, deadline. I had a hard appointment I had to get to. Um, So I'm the asshole. Uh, But uh, hopefully we'll have John back on and talk because I still have a ton of questions for him. And uh, there are a lot of rabbit holes. I'd love to go down with him still. But I think you're going to find what's great about talking to John. I, I need to say this. It, this is something you'll pick up very early in the episode, in the interview, <clears throat> but I just want to underscore how important it is. You know, I think theater, you know, as we look at vet rep to, like we say in our mission statement, you know, re-energize, reinvigorate American theater, you know, theaters become this very, in, in my point of view, uh, the, the aperture on theaters narrowed significantly. It's become um, a very provincial art form. It's become, again, these are my words. I'm not trying to put this on John. But uh, from my point of view, it's become somewhat solipsistic, somewhat self-involved. Uh, it's become incredibly provincial and, and provincial for very specific parts of the country. Um, you know, I don't know that it does necessarily speak to uh, all of America. It speaks to certain parts of America, um, I think but frequently it's something, you know, and I I say this based on a lot of canvassing when I go around and talk to American Legion groups or VFWs or, um, you know, folks across the country, you know, their conception of theater is that it's this blue blood artistic form. Uh, It's for the theater clubs, it's for the theater kids, you know, from high school. It's, you know, you don't go to theater because it's expensive. It's a pain in the ass to get to. And you're going to end up seeing something that you really can't relate to. Doesn't speak to you in in any particular visceral way. And again, that's what I hear, and that's not a stretch for me to believe in that critique, uh, as well as you know agree with with a large part of it. Um, but I, so I'm not trying to put that on John. But I think what John does bring up is what really is at the heart and soul of theater, which is that uh, as he calls himself repeatedly throughout the interview, he's just a really good butcher and he really um, runs from the term artist. He does not see himself as an artist. He does not want to be thought of as an artist. He doesn't even know what an artist is um, by his own say so. Um, he is fixated on simply doing a workmanlike job and, um, you know, a lunch pail job and doing it well, um, and being, you know, just a, a dedicated artisan, um, if not artist. And I think that takes so much ego out of the equation that takes so much pomp and circumstance out of the equation, makes it him very pragmatic, practical, and the results speak for themselves. That kind of workmanlike lunch pail, um, and, and, and by workman like lunch that I, I don't want to damn him with faint praise. Um, there's a delight. There's a joie de vivre and there's a, there's a um, wit and a humor and a self-deprecation and a joy that John radiates. And I really felt that and enjoy. It's one of the reasons it was so much fun talking to him. But, uh, but just that, la- that I think all those go hand in hand with a lack of ego and to see the end result of that and see what that attitude has birthed is impressive. And it's like, you've gotten theaters that many a blue blood, many a well-heeled person, many an aspiring artist, many an established artist would love to do a show at Long Wharf or the Guthrie or, you know, when their Pulitzer out of the Humana festival. Um, and yet it's that humility, self-deprecation, joy just very natural love of people into the theater that that got those platforms built it wasn't um, ego and you know pinky in the air you know sipping wine kind of attitude anyway I think that's worth noting uh, it meant a lot to me uh, to hear how John talked about that I hope this will mean a lot to you guys I know I've gone on for almost as long as the interview <laughs> at this point. So let me get on with it because uh, it, it's a. I, I think you guys are going to enjoy the hell out of listening to John. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the artistic director at Vet Rep, and this is the Savage Wonder of John Jory. All right, John. This is it. This is this is as magical as it gets right here. This is this is the show.
1: (laughs) I'm going to take off my hat.
0: Now, now you're ready to really talk. Now the hats off. Yeah. Listen, um, I'm I'm beyond excited to talk. There's, I feel like this is a very special opportunity for our audience because obviously at Veterans Repertory Theater we talk an awful lot about theater, but to have someone with your experience is, um. Is a real tree for us. So it's I'm going to dive in.
1: I will tell you all the things not to do.
0: That is a huge part of what I'm going to be asking about. Absolutely. Well, listen, let's start with this. I actually want to start um, a little personally for you yeah. with your childhood, because Victor yeah. Jory was your father yep. and he was a hell of a dude. I mean, boxing and yeah, wrestling champion for the Coast Guard.
1: We did like 130 films where he was the bad guy. <laughs> and all the ways he was killed, I wrote on my wall.
0: Really? Yeah. That's we, all. W- which wall? What do you mean your wall? Where did you write I that?
1: Bedroom. I put it on a piece of paper. You know, I'm not a complete
0: uh, ruffian. That's but, it. Was it a point of pride for him? Did he Would he come into the room and go, oh, yeah,
1: I remember yeah, that yeah, one. That was a great. Because, you know, most of the time he just got shot. But it was fun for him to see the other ways that he had been demolished, falling from cliffs and. Things like that. What was it like for you? What was it like for you to grow up in that household? And obviously you have nothing else to
0: compare it to, but looking back, I mean, that's a hell of a place to grow up at that. I
1: I don't know. I think any childhood is, you know, I think you in the main just think everybody has the same childhood, whether you do or not. You know what I mean? And so I never thought a lot about it until maybe I got into junior high. Uh, I had an equity card when I was six. Uh, and uh, I did a lot of plays at the Pasadena Playhouse, and my family and a bunch of people who included stars like Robert Preston mm-hmm. and, uh, oh, gosh, I can't think. There were three or four stars, and, and they would do, the, they had their own theater called 18 Actors, and uh, they did them at the Pasadena Elks Club, and I remember that every year, they would have uh, Robert Preston or Lloyd Nolan or my dad or somebody sit at a card table out in front of the Elks Club, and they would sell all the tickets in one day. <laughs> People would stop and they'd see Robert Preston, and then they would buy tickets. Of course. Well, of course. So that was my first experience about how you ran a theater, which is maybe not useful in all circumstances. Well,
0: but some things haven't changed. Having a name attached will really sell theater tickets.
1: Yeah. And I mean, as a childhood, you know, what was now what sort of interests me is it all seemed commonplace to me. It just seemed like, you know, what kids did. And it never occurred to me I would do anything but do something in the theater. It literally never occurred to me. And I sort of proceeded on that. And I had no idea what kind of a tightrope I was walking on. Do you know what I mean? I just... Uh, One day I realized that to graduate from college, I would have to take a math class and I really didn't want a math class. So I quit. I left the college and went and worked as an apprentice at the Cleveland Playhouse. Uh, You know, so it just occurred to me that the theater was the real thing you did and everything else was a complete sidebar.
0: Were your contemporaries in school, were the other kids,
1: were their dads in showbiz? Was it just common no, that this was – oh, really? I didn't know a single person. I was at South Pasadena High School. I don't know a single person, uh, parent who was in the field, not one.
0: Did the, uh, uh, Sorry, did, did the other kids – treat you differently at a certain point yeah, did they go hey your dad's yeah. victor jory
1: wow that's cool no, i saw him fact, in the- i don't think any kid ever said i was was that my dad was victor jory nor do i think they even knew i didn't talk about it much because that wasn't what you talked about in school you know what i mean uh, probably it happened chris but i don't remember sure sure uh, and i wish i could put this well just this uh, this I, I think the only unique Thing to my experience in a long life is that I always supposed, uh, you know, I, I I sort of knew what I was when I was six, what I would do, and I just proceeded to do that. Do you know what I mean? And I think in the end, that's kind of an unusual experience. I'm still still doing it at 84. Yeah, you know, uh, in a way, and and it seemed like you know another an, uh, another day at the butcher shop.
0: What was it like for you then to go into the military? Because that's got to be a 180 for you, where you're like, dude, I was going down
1: this path. Now suddenly you're yelling well, at me. I've got to well, do this. Because it all seemed like a Western to me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got to shoot things. And I mean, I didn't go to war. I don't think I was really suited for that. Uh, <clears throat> but then after a time, I got into special services and I was at Fort Belvoir in Virginia. And they actually had a theater. It's probably still there. They had a literal equipped theater on the base, and so cool. I ran that theater, uh, and which was sort of the first theater I ran. Uh, and um, so I got up in the morning, and we went to this. We were in a you know a barracks building somewhere on the base. And as I say, I only remember once when an officer ever dropped by, I and mean, nobody knew we were there or cared. So we would sit around and do whatever we were d- doing to get ready for the next play, uh, you know, and uh, <clears throat> and that's what we did. So it's just like being in the theater, only it was on an army base. Were you
0: drafted? Or- yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So you knew this was coming. You, you knew need- you were going to
1: have to go the, into the military. Well, I didn't know if they'd really get to me, but they sure did. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? I enjoyed it because I really liked – being around people who did life a lot differently than I had done, it was real experience for me that was really uh, I think I learned more about myself as a human being doing that than anywhere else. And there were because I didn't go to war, you know what I mean, it wasn't scary. It was just organized. And my life had always been organized by theater. and theater is a pretty big piece of organization. Uh, You know, so having living an organized life, it was just different organization as far as I could see. And it didn't seem very hard to me. I mean, what that's because I didn't have to do the real thing that you're supposed to that it's all made for. Sure. But what was the
0: biggest what was the biggest cultural, if not shock, cultural adjustment you had to make? Was it being around people from all over the country as opposed to just being in California? Was it the lack of anyone in showbiz around like No. Yeah. Well, what was it? Or was there any? Was it just a natural fit? There wasn't just a
1: natural fit. I mean, it was different stuff to do. And I wished that I had been better at some of it, but it seemed possible, you know. And once I got through basic training uh, and people were no longer shouting at me for what I thought was no good reason, uh, uh, it it all was just fine because I was off in that building somewhere and then I was in a theater. I mean, it's kind of crazy, don't you think? It but absolutely is. Me and the Army wouldn't, after a period of weeks, be any different than any other place I would be. Well, absolutely. And I it mean, makes- occasionally I would salute people, but I actually liked to salute. I, I don't know why. It was the only thing in the Army I could really do well. So, uh, you know, so I, I thought that was a lot of fun. Did you feel like you were playing a role when no. you were there? You no, didn't? I was just doing what I was doing. Okay. You know, and because a lot of it was what I had always done and what I would always do, it didn't seem all that different to me. I mean, sure, I would laugh about this or that. And I remember I had to run the base movie theater for a while and I was in charge of uh, the money. And who knows what happened to the money? I was literally (laughs) no good at that. Uh, I don't think I got it, but I have no idea who did get it.
0: Well, plus Uh, you skipped out on math class, right? So you couldn't add it up anyway. Yeah. (laughs)
1: yeah Uh, but i made a lot of good friends uh, during that period in the army and uh uh, people i knew in special services and i had some fun and we got to i think we finished like second or third in some kind of all army entertainment contest uh you know and so i got to travel around i don't remember exactly where but to some other bay oh i was a uh I, I was the master of ceremonies for an army band for about several months. So I would go along with them and come out and say hello and tell two jokes. And then the band would play. And then there would be an intermission. I would tell two more jokes and they would play some more.
0: Now, this was the late 50s, early 60s that you were in, right? Somewhere yeah. in that
1: range. I graduated high school in 56. So I, I must have left in 59. It was late 50s, early 60s.
0: So there was no war going on, to be clear.
1: Uh, no. Not really. Okay. I'm sure there was, but you and I don't know about it.
0: Right. 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 So, so for you, when you went to basic training, did they give you a job or what did they, did you pick a job? How did that work? Was there supposed to be a job field you were good supposed to go into?
1: Yeah. I, well, no, I never really had a job. Uh, uh, what, what happened? I mean, basic training was just basic training and, you mm-hmm. know, I would guard duty and stuff and, and, uh, uh, sing to myself to to get through it. But uh, uh, I I didn't really pick a job, but I told people, you know, I told my commanding officer and everything what I had done. And he said, I should apply to special services. And so I did. And so that's what was me.
0: Were you always at Fort Belvoir or did you go there for yeah, special I services? Always,
1: I was always at Fort Belvoir, except like when I was touring with that band. Okay. Um. But so I'm embarrassed to say you do you know what i mean I, I'm embarrassed to say that do you know I me mean? I never really felt i i I never experienced the hard part and the and the heightened good part um about putting your life at risk uh I didn't experience any of that part.
0: do you wish that you had
1: in some way, yeah, in a way uh I mean, uh, it's all very well for me to think it might have been nice now. I don't know what I would have <laughs> thought. About. I would have been scared to death. But right. um, uh, there were things, There were th- as I look back on it, I think, well, you weren't really in the Army, John. You were in some mm-hmm. weird alternate <laughs> Army. Right. Do, do you know right. what I mean? I didn't have a lot of the experience. How long were you in? Was that a two-year commitment yeah. back then? We were, we were, yeah, I got drafted and I was in for two years.
0: So what was your, what happened when you got out? Did you just uh, immediately go right to theater? No, that's what you wanted to do.
1: Okay. This is weird now. Okay. We're now getting into weirdness. I hope you like weirdness. It's all right. Record time. Uh, we
0: got there in record time too. I like it. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I had left college without, so I had only a high school degree. Right. So one of the people I worked with in the army went to Yale as an actor, all right, got out earlier than I did. And he said, why don't you come to Yale and be in the master's program, uh, uh, playwriting program? And I said, "Um, first of all, where where I grew up and what I assumed, Yale was somewhere else. I think it was slightly below either heaven or hell. I can't tell you which. But I mean, it was completely outside my framework. Do, Do you know what I mean? And I thought that probably Yale, there were only six really smart people there. I mean, that's all who were there, six people. Uh, I didn't know what Yale did. And so I said, well, okay, but I don't have a high school degree. And he said, well, let me ask around. I don't think that's a problem. And, and he said, uh, uh, they said uh, he said, you know, some of the kids need a play to do. Do you have a one act? So I sent him a one act and they did the play and then they let me in. So I was in the master's program in playwriting at Yale having left college in the middle without any degree except a high school degree. Okay. I mean, I couldn't get a, I couldn't get the regular master's degree. I got some <laughs> kind of alternate non master's degree if I had stayed, but then of course, like everywhere else I didn't stay. I started the long wharf theater and, uh, and left. So yeah. you didn't. Wow.
0: So that is shocking to yeah. me for many love for many reasons, not the least of which, um, the, the reputation that Yale had at that time of being so stodgy and upright and squared yeah. away seems like that really slid through the cracks. but was the drama program as well established then as oh, it is yeah. it now it still was, was. okay place, okay you know people would imagine going. Uh, but with you and your background, I mean I know you said you didn't have friends that were necessarily in showbiz or their parents yeah. weren't in showbiz but your yours were. Did you know about Yale? I mean, that must have meant the drama program must have meant something. Not really. Now, all I
1: knew was it was some, you know, wildly imaginary place where the smartest people went. And Did I was your, not ch-
0: one of the smartest people. Did your dad say anything to you about it? Was he like, hey, Yale drama, don't mess, mess around? That's
1: My dad sort of thought anything that happened to his children was just fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what for I mean? For better or for worse. Okay. He never said to me, as a matter of fact, I don't think he ever asked me a question about Yale because it wasn't precisely his interest his interest was acting and you know he did films and stuff like that you know what i mean and i as a matter of fact when i got to yale uh, the writing program was okay but they were all a lot smarter than i was and the woman who ran it at that time what the hell was her name player oh lillian hellman oh god yeah Uh, she was just meaner than a snake (laughs) Totally. Do you know what I mean? So the few times I read in class, you know, she like took me apart like a surgeon working with scalpels in both hands, you know, and I went, oh, that's not much fun. I didn't like that. Do you know, so I went off mainly and acted at Yale and I was very successful as an actor and I would come to the writing classes and just sit there. But I didn't do much writing while I was in the writing program at Yale because it hurt. Lillian Hellman would hurt you. So what did that mean
0: for you to be diving into theater that much? I mean, was there ever the temptation to do did you think since hey, acting seems like it might be an at least Lillian Hellman's not yelling at me as an actor? Did you think maybe acting well, is the path and maybe I well, don't I'd do say, theater okay,
1: as much? So in high school because I want to do more plays than they did, they let me kind of start my own theater which means I did a couple of plays in high school that weren't the regular plays, but they let me do them. And, you know, and not many kids would come, but we did them. Then I went to college and after a year, I went to see the guy was really nice. Dr. Lee ran the program. I said, Dr. Lee, I don't really do want to do this. He said, I said, but there's this little theater you have. I'll stay. If you'll let me just do plays there. So he said, okay. So I I had sort of my own theater in college where we did three or four or five, six plays, I remember. So I was used to, though I never thought it was a theater, you know what I mean? I was used to uh, organizing stuff so I could do the stuff I wanted to do, you know? So when we were in Yale and I met this guy who was a business guy in the theater, Harlan Kleinman, and we were talking and I said, how come, or I don't know, I think at one point I said, how come, uh, uh, they don't have a, a, a professional theater in town. And he said, I don't know. And we said, well, why don't we start one? So we were kids at Yale. So the other thing we did is mainly we spent our time getting, beginning the basis of Long Wharf Theater, which has now been you know. open 50 years in New Haven. Of course. And so, and then it started taking too much time. So that's when I left school, uh, you know, and and we, got Longworth going and I was the artistic director and I'd never been the artistic director, but it didn't phase me in the least because I'd kind of been the organizing force for plays. You know, when I was a kid, I would have kids come to our yard and I would do plays. So it just seemed like a normal thing to do. What amazes
0: me is your whole life seems like you've carved out exceptions everywhere you've been. You were the kid in high school that somehow got his own theater company you go to the army, manage to get your own theater. You yeah. go to Yale, you slip in through the cracks, get in there. Like you're constantly carving out exceptions. Have you, I mean, not to play amateur psychiatrist, but <laughs> why is that? I really, well, what to- is it about you? I mean, do you uh, do you find that you do think? Do you, you're opportunistic or there's an entrepreneurial streak or you're very organized in a
1: profession that sometimes isn't? I don't think any of that is, I mean, I'm sure it might be true. You as a psychiatrist will probably find it true. But in my situation, I just like to make theater and I like to have some say in how it was made. I, I didn't necessarily want to do it the way, I mean, I didn't want people to tell me how to do it all the time. I wasn't mean about that but right. that was, in and so it was just easier to kind of be in charge of it. So actually starting things was easier than being inside a structure for me. Yeah. I could see that. You yeah. know what I mean? And, Jeez. and I got, and it's so much less difficult than one thinks, you, you know what I mean? I don't think I had any massive talent for starting theaters. I was just moving forward. Then was it you, the you time? Bit, but
0: you, but I, I, I I did. I, and if I can if I can do uh, you know a tenth of what you've managed to do, I'll be I'll I'll die happy. But
1: well, I mean, th- die happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I if that I appreciate the optimism. But I mean, <laughs> uh, but what I wonder is, um, was there something also about the time that you were? starting Long Wharf. And obviously we haven't even gotten to the Guthrie. We haven't gotten to Actors Theater Louisville, but I mean, was there something about that time where regional theater was now starting to be a
1: thing? Regional theater was the thing that was going on. You know what I mean? It had taken off. People were starting companies and, you know, everywhere. Uh, It seemed like a thing you could point to a thing. There was in, there was a, a regional theater in Hartford at the time, you know, and I went up and saw that. And I looked at it. I mean, I didn't know that I could run it, but I said I could do plays as good as that. Huh? And it didn't, and I don't say that as an ego. Right. I right. knew what plays were. I'd been messing around with them and watching my family. My family, uh, who my father and my mother was an actress and did sure. a lot of, uh, she did a lot of TV. She was on the Dr. Kildare series for a long time. Uh, Jean Innes was her name. And my sister acted. And that was just what the family did. Uh, and it was just like having a butcher shop. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a really good example because I didn't, to this day, I don't know what art is uh, and I don't yeah. necessarily associate it with making theater.
0: Really explain that. Why do you think it's, it's too frou no I mean, too...
1: The Art seemed to be, to be much more advanced and, Uh, beyond most ordinary mortals, Hmm. but make theater seemed like a butcher shop.
0: Do you think that's also a key distinction between big city theater, like, well, let's say New York, Chicago, and regional theater where there's kind of a lack of pretension?
1: Yeah. But you know what? At Actors Theater, you know, I was in Louisville and I wanted somebody, I wanted to run a theater that, you know, I wanted the theater to get some attention, you know. Right. So right. we said we'd do this, you know, that we'd do this uh, new play festival, right? right. And right. in the end, uh, toward the end, when we did the Humana Festival, we would have visitors from 60 or 70 nations, critics yeah. from 60 or 70 nations. Uh, do you know what I mean? Sure. So we got boku attention. Right do right. you know what i mean yeah but again it was within a context that i knew i could do all right i didn't have to be an intellectual do you know what i mean yep. i didn't have to be any kind of a genius they thought it was hard and you know we got good tony kushner did a play mm-hmm. a, bunch of, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of people did plays and and so we got the attention i really wanted but the neat thing about it was is we didn't have attention all that didn't need attention all the time so after everybody came for the big weekend at Humana, you know, I could go back and do Arsenic and Old Lace and nobody would say, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You see what yeah. I mean? So we had attention when we wanted attention and we didn't have to have attention when we didn't want attention, which was much tougher if you had a regional theater in Hartford.
0: What about the choice of subject matter that the playwrights that worked with you? would feature. So I'm thinking specifically like you have, you you have plays in Tennessee. You're like in Cementville. I'm thinking of the locker room in Tennessee. You've got a rehab clinic for injured rodeo riders. You've got Hazelhurst, Mississippi. You've got places that maybe aren't settings you would see. You know what? We've
1: got rave reviews in every European country that exists for the test. Okay. And we just, Michael Dixon, who was the literary manager and who had a lot to do with picking the plays, uh, he was really good at it. And I guess I was all right. And uh, uh, they seemed to respect it. And the trick was, if they came and saw eight plays in a weekend, they were bound to like two. Uh. You see what I mean? They only had to, the critic only had to like two plays. Okay. So they would like two plays. And then they didn't have much room to talk about the plays they didn't like. So it sounded like we were terrific.
0: Do you think you could have been that successful had no. you started in, new, in the city, no. in New York?
1: No, and I, I wasn't made for it. I'm, I'm a Rube. Uh, do you know what I mean? And and so I had to have a theater in Rubeville in order to uh, for it to work out all right.
0: So um, let me pick up on the Rube thing, which I disagree with, but we'll leave that for a, a separate conversation. I'll take you at face value when you say that. To say, then why didn't you go into film? Isn't that um, entertainment for idiots? Isn't I never that?
1: Had the slightest interest. I was about to put a word in front of that that starts with F that I know I shouldn't put. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I just Ooh. never had any interest. My dad did that, and that seemed like some other world. I thought you had to be really handsome to do film. Mm. It never occurred to me. And by the time I started writing, I could write plays. I never knew how anybody wrote a screenplay. I never wrote one. It seemed entirely mysterious to me. I only did what I knew I could do. Okay. And it turned out that was all right. And I had no ambitions beyond that. When did,
0: do you know, have you ever been able to pinpoint a moment where that locked in? Or was that from the get-go? Was there a time like in the Army that I you're doing plays? In high school. Why couldn't I start yeah. a
1: in New Haven? Okay. You know I mean? It didn't seem to me bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, I learned about boards of directors. Do you know? And I, as you can see, I'm a moderately friendly human. And so they, they thought that was fine and gave me all their money. Uh, I mean, it just worked out.
0: Th- that is crazy. And especially now. I, I can appreciate that even more running a nonprofit theater yeah. to look and go. You were never tempted even or regretful or <clears throat> looking backwards at, boy, hey, maybe I should have gone into movies where there's so much money and maybe Absolutely. I could have done something.
1: But money never meant. And again, the F, yep. things that, really yep. F. It never meant anything to me because I had enough money for my needs.
0: What about fundraising and the constant treadmill of going, oh, man, we got to hustle and get I, I the funding? I finally and-
1: accepted that as part of the job. Do you know what I mean? Now, there's something that did scare me in the beginning. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Because the, these were very powerful people, and I would have to sit at table with them and explain what I was doing. But what I found out was um, everybody with a lot of money right, is looking to do some form of public service. If they have a lot of money, nine out of 10 people with a whole lot of money say, why shouldn't I do a little bit of good? So when I realized that, I realized, uh, listen, they had to listen to a lot of people like me for for that part of their thing to work out. Corporations would give us some money. You you know what I mean? So I thought I was embarrassed at first, but finally I realized this is part of what they do because it makes them feel good. And then I didn't get embarrassed anymore. And I just yakked away like I'm yakking away with you.
0: Did you ever have a case of imposter syndrome where you kind of stopped yourself at the table and was like, wow, I can't believe I'm actually sitting here about to ask for this money or get this person. And I'm just a guy that, you know, kept you know, no doing what way. I do?
1: No way. You have to understand, I thought I was a good butcher. Yep. You understand? Yep. And as a good butcher, I, I didn't mind talking to other people about what I did. Yep. You know what I mean? Sure. Did I get nervous? Yeah, I got a little nervous, but I didn't ever feel like an imposter. I sure. knew theater was a good thing. You know theater was a good thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's what's to be an imposter? John, and I'm going to have money to give away. Yes. Okay. So yeah. go get them. And so um- I was part of the job.
0: That's an incredibly healthy and non-neurotic way of looking at it. And I think that's
1: I just valuable I, to hear. I just, maybe you can. I just couldn't figure out art. Do you know what I mean? I just <laughs> couldn't figure out what the heck it was supposed to be. Do, do you know what I mean? I knew what a pretty good play was. Right. Some people, uh, very strangely, seem to consider it art. I never think of my, I've ever thought of myself as an artist. I think I'm a play butcher.
0: Let me ask what you think then of theater now. Do you think there's more pretension, less pretension, no pretension? Do you think theater there, suffers there from
1: theater now Because of
0: COVID. <laughs> well, there's that too. Yeah.
1: Um, no, no, no. Everybody does it their own way. I, I met some people who really, you know, had the art thing in their head and and thought they were artists, and I could agree with that. They were really good at what they did. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't feel. I, I I thought, yeah, but you're not running a theater, are you, honey? So I wasn't. You know, I felt like I did what I did pretty good, and so I loved being. You know, I, I loved. And and they were never the best playwrights. I worked with the best playwrights of my generation. And they were just generous as hell. Yeah. They seemed to think we were fine. You know, we were doing their play. We did their play well. Uh, you know what I mean? We weren't crazy. Well, we weren't crazy, except on Wednesdays.
0: Uh, or deeply generous. religious holidays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: And so it worked out. I mean, yeah. you, I'm kidding, I'm kidding you. Have a, you would have a really good personality to run a theater. Seriously. That means a lot. No, really. I'm telling you. Do you know what I mean? This art thing makes me crazy. Everybody runs around I me. Mean, I meet middle school kids who call themselves artists. You know, I and mean? in my view, it's a pretty elevated word. Yeah. So I really don't I, you know, I mean, I get a, I, until I stop myself because it's pretentious to say this, but you know, I don't think I'm an artist. I don't think I've ever been an artist. I think I'm somebody who likes theater and can do it well. And I don't think you know theater takes a whole lot of people. Do you know yeah. who Ming? Do you know who Ming Cho Lee was no. Ming Cho Lee was the greatest scene designer of his time, mm. and he ran the department at Yale for years and years. Uh, and I I worked with him a bunch, you, you know. And uh, I asked him once. I said, "Do you consider yourself an artist, Ming?" And he said, "I really don't have the time." Uh. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? And it was kind of like that. We were just doing plays all the time, you know? So what's an artist? Uh, And I, you know, you can learn to do them pretty well. Did I do, was I a great American director? No. Uh, What was I? I was somebody who liked new plays and we did a whole bunch of them and a lot of them won Pulitzer prizes and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, And it, and it, and, you know, and they, we, they only got that Pulitzer prize, Because we had a new play festival and because we got critics from all over the world to come to it. How did we do that? Uh, uh, I once sent somebody on on our staff who was really a good talker. uh, And he went to, I think we sent him to 14 countries to talk to the critics. And then they came. Told him about our festival. So we got incredible international press just because nobody was trying to get it. It was just work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some people don't. Mm -hmm. Some people just don't see. They're not shrewd about the work. They don't say, how could this be successful? And I knew to be really successful, even in our own community, they needed to like us in New York. Yeah. You know, So so it was cool. We figured out how to have them like us in New York while we were doing the new play festival. I remember one critic said, you know, was on to me uh, and and said that I was a master of disposable theater. And you know what? Aside from wanting to kill him, uh, I, I think that's probably true. I did a lot of disposable theater. Do you know what I mean? Artists do something hard and complex in my view all the time, unless Artists really don't ever know that. Do do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just woke up in the morning and got ready to, you know, with a bunch of people to get the next play on. So then what? It's not different. Uh, I just can't see the difference between that and almost anything else where you're selling hamburgers or whatever the hell it is you're doing. So how is that an artist?
0: What would you say then to actors when you get names that especially that would come in and they do see themselves as an artist or a playwright? If you had a playwright that had a little bit of celebrity to them or diva mentality.
1: They might have felt that, but Mm -hmm. they came to our theater. They arrived the night before we went into rehearsal. Then they went into rehearsal and they were really busy. Uh, Mm, I would try to have lunch with them twice while they were there. Do, do you know what I mean, and I don't think we ever talked about art and I don't think they ever, mm. talked about art. they were doing a play and a lot of them hadn't done a lot of plays lately. Yeah. So they were really grateful that we made it easy for them. And we obviously were decent at it. You know what I mean? We were good play butchers. So then what's, if the, have,
0: have you ever? I mean, it sounds like there's an answer that you've already given, but I want to press on it a little bit. What's the secret sauce? What's the strain of DNA that allows someone to champion work, groundbreaking work the way you did and build something in areas that maybe haven't been exploited theatrically enough?
1: The, the secret in DNA is to want to do it.
0: Okay.
1: You know, a lot of these yeah. other people, you know, they wanted to do one new play a year and and just in a matter of course, they got sent 140. So pick one of the 140. We wanted to do eight in rep over a six-week period in three theaters. Okay. Uh, and we had this wonderful scene designer named Paul Owen, now deceased, and he would design all of the sets. And he said, please don't bring in any guest designers because this isn't about design. This is about storage. Uh-huh. So he had eight plays in a small area, and he didn't want some designer to come in and design something that there was no room for. Do you see? So that is what I'm talking about. That's yeah, yeah. me, designer.
0: So then, let me ask this in a different way: What got you high? What was your high? What was your buzz? When would you go home muttering yourself, going, "God damn, this is exactly why I do this." Well, what was the, the moment?
1: First time was when we started getting attention for the new plays. Like okay. the first time, we really got some attention. Somebody from the Washington uh, Post came.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you know
1: what I mean. And they mm-hmm. did, a review. we all waited for the review, which came out about a week later. And we were all excited that we were in, you know, we were in the box office manager's house. And we all got really excited, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then we got our first Pulitzer Prize. We didn't get it. The author got it. But there was a Pulitzer Prize involved. Wow, we all got excited about that. But that all happened in the first 10 or 12 festivals. And I did 35 festivals. 33. You know what I mean. So by the time I did twenty-eight festivals, you know, you know what the whole thing was? Mm-hmm. It wasn't hard. It was boring. Really? Yeah. I mean, I finally went. Ah, yeah, yeah. okay. So plays. You know, we knew what was going to happen. One of them was going to, gonna, you know, two of them were going to go to Broadway, and one of them was going to fail, and the other one was going to be all right. You know what I mean? And ten years later, one of them maybe would be a movie. You know, there was kind of like been there, done this.
0: What did that do for you? Did you start to get restless? Did you start going, hey, what else do I have to do? Or did you think you had to reinvent something in the Uh, theater to keep it fresh?
1: It was like a car that I had tuned for all those years, and I just had literally no idea how to tune it any better. You know, I'd been tuning Actors Theater of Louisville for a long time, baby. And it just, you know, I just looked at it and said, you know, I can make this car run, but I've been making it run for all this time. And it's really a lot of work. You know, And so I went off, to uh, I thought maybe I'd like to teach, and I turned out to really like to teach, so I went to the University of Washington and taught acting. And I that, made a really practical way to teach acting that pissed everybody off. What's that? Well, I can't tell you now, but I mean, <laughs> again, I didn't treat it like an art form, and that seems somewhat offensive to them, but unfortunately... Uh...
0: There is something about that, though, right? To look at the business end of acting and playwriting and go, what does it take to achieve this end result versus wallowing in the process, right?
1: Absolutely, my friend. Yeah. Nope. yeah. Don't yeah. you think, I mean, come on, you're good at stuff, right? So in point of fact, how could, you know, you might at some point take the stuff you're really good at and expand it somewhat. Right. Do, do you know what I mean? Right. And then it would be exactly like what happened in my life. What I was good at expanded somewhat. And I was—I didn't really want to go beyond. I didn't care if I was in New York and I had no interest in being in the movies. So I was really happy about the challenge of making a theater in Louisville, Kentucky, important nationally. That seemed like fun to me. That makes complete sense. It and by makes- the
0: way, let's not be said, I saw the last so I show I saw at Actors Theater was Noises Off about yeah. eight or nine years ago, which is one of my favorite plays, oh, and I movie. freaking loved it. Yeah,
1: great, yeah. great part. Yeah. Oh, so, so much that, fun. So I think between you and I, I think the deal here is I think this whole artist thing is a sham, in my opinion, and I think you just got to get that out of your head. Yep. So we're talking to some folks who are running a theater, right? mm Hmm. Are we not the veterans ensemble? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, you just got to get that out of your head, and 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 you know, say what's the best way to do this so we get a little attention and we can keep doing it. That's all I wanted. I wanted enough attention so I could keep doing it.
0: No, that makes complete sense. And I actually want to ask you for um, a little bit of a commercial for our veterans community. Here's what I've noticed in the playwriting competitions we've held. Yeah. Um, we have a bell curve and the, the thin part of the bell curve um, of really talented playwrights that have developed their skill sets is yeah. great, but it's obviously small. It's the thin part of that bell curve. Then we have a meaty part of a bell curve with a ton of veteran playwrights with yeah. awesome ideas, but they can't execute them yet. And that's the part Wait, that I mean really-
1: can't, Why can't they execute
0: them? The skill set isn't there. They're not great writers yet. So they they have a great idea,
1: They're never going to be great writers at any one time, unless if we're going to use the term great writers, there aren't mm -hmm. going to be more than five or six of them writing at any given time. The rest of the people are going to be good writers.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess I would say the competency of the skill set is not there. The ear for dialogue, maybe this or that. And it's, it's all fixable. It's all fixable stuff. So to me, it's very important that we, that we develop. And grow that meaty part of the bell curve, and turn yeah. and 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 get that churning out more and more quality work and a higher standard of work. Yeah. To that end, it's important for me to constantly convert veterans that are writing in some medium into yeah. playwrights to yeah. see, hey, does that does that convert easily? And I'm just going to ask you, what is a reason that a veteran should go into theater? In your estimation, what's the benefit of going to theater as opposed to writing novels or going to film or TV? Well, Why writing theater?
1: Novels, what's... Writing novels takes too much time. Huh. And, and TV is too complicated. Uh, there are all kinds of people there who make the job harder uh, and you, you know let you write half of it and then they take it away from you and give it to somebody else uh, right. The, the theater is perfect for this. Absolutely perfect. But what they do is they need to tell stories without pretension. And they don't need to worry about that. I mean, they don't let these people who've been calling themselves artists for 20 years, do do you know what I mean? Lock them in the closet and do not let them out. Uh you know, and then it's flat out pretty much storytelling. Uh uh 90% of the lines they write should not exceed three sentences. Yes. And yeah, there's yeah, yeah. a whole lot of lines that are lines like, yeah, okay. Okay. If there aren't a lot of lines like that, the play is not going to be produced. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, unless you were one of America's great poets and those plays are always terrible. Uh, so, uh, you know what I mean? It just needs to be pretty, it can be pretty straightforward. The thing is, you shouldn't get lost in feeling that this isn't like a butcher. Yeah. Seriously, I can't tell. No, 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 I get it. Do you know what I mean? Tell the story simply and straightforwardly. Talk to people about the story you want to tell, and maybe they can help you, you know, design that a little bit for a play. Tell you, you know, I mean, you just got to start out, you know, tell them to start out with the most commonplace dialogue they can think of. Julie, is there any more coffee? Yeah, just a minute. Uh, Yeah, but I'm just leaving. You're always just leaving. Now you're onto it. Yeah. You're always just leaving. Now you can write a play. You see what I mean?
0: Do you still get turned on going into theater and seeing a new piece of work?
1: Well, it's been so long since I've seen a new piece of work because of COVID, because I'm scared to death of it. Sure. Gotcha. Uh, um, But uh, I still like going to the theater, but I better now like the theater of my own imagination in my 80s do you know what i mean i i what i like uh, the theater has given me a gift a gift of no price which is i have something i really like to do that i can do my by myself in a room for three or four hours a day and i really enjoy it okay and for that i should pay big money but it's free yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, you know what I mean. So, yeah. I'm wildly happy. Yeah, I, I finally don't have. I was teaching at UCLA, but then COVID kind of knocked that out, and now I'm what they call retired. Uh, and I try, you know, I try to write 21 act plays a year.
0: What are you doing oh. with them? Are you sending um, them? Out?
1: Well, I'm forcing them on your friends.
0: Good, you know? good. It, I hope so. I mean, that's
1: what I'm doing
0: with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know I
1: mean? And and they get turned down a lot, and that's cool. Do you know what I mean? And I don't Good. think they're anything wonderful, but I think I I know for a fact that I know something about theater. So every once in a while, I'm going to write something decent. <clears throat> so I just keep doing it. I'm
0: I'm going to ask you a a very unfair question because oh. I know we have to wrap this up, but I figure like why not?
1: We can't wrap this up. We're going on and on and on.
0: I know. I I, We're uh, I wish we could it
1: until next spring.
0: <laughs> so. I'm going to fill everyone in who doesn't know who's listening, who doesn't already know this, but there's been the mystery of Jane Martin going on forever with you. Please. Yeah. Uh, What's the deal with Jane Martin? Is there anything you want to say about Jane Martin? Is yeah, anything-
1: I finally want to reveal that it's Hillary Clinton. <laughs> 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 Stop really the presses. Wanted, it doesn't get it better wanted, than that. But she was, you know, she was worried politically. Well, I, I knew she was busy. And the plays are un, almost unproducible because of the sex.
0: <laughs> there we go. It doesn't get better than that. It's rare that a podcast
1: breaks ground, but I mean, that, that was that's news. That, that's that's news that we can publish that. Yeah, absolutely. And just as a matter of fact, you'll give me a safe house. <laughs> the Army must have It's a, a win-win.
0: House. It's a win-win all around. Hey, John, listen, this is, um, I'm I'm kicking myself that we couldn't go longer with this. This this has been such a blast. Um, I I would love to stay in touch and all that. But beyond that, can you tell people any plug that you want to give, whether it's for your stuff, whether it's for something in theater in general, is there anything you can plug or want people to know, follow, watch, see, observe, or just think about?
1: Yeah, you're in the business of telling a good story and human beings just love 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 a good story and it is such a relief to them not to be worried about their own life and get to be worried about somebody else's life that it's literally a community service do you you know what i mean i'm telling you uh they they get taken out of sometimes a very bad place for two hours and they are really involved and they don't think for a moment about whatever the problem is yeah do do you know what i mean absolutely yeah and to get to do that is an honor
0: well, John, I know um, our friend Jason, who's there, who's helped us set all this Jason stuff went up.
1: To sleep some time ago, said, <laughs> <"No."> uh, Jason.
0: <laughs> well, I know, I know. He said when I when he said that you didn't know why I wanted to talk to you because you didn't think right. you were very important. And I think I I I think you're you've proven why you have godfathered so much theater in this country and that lack of pretension. The important pioneering the lack of pretension and what that's meant for the American theater. I think that's more important than ever.
1: But I'd um, like to be pretentious if I knew how. Okay. <laughs> if you would like to give me some pretentious lessons, I'm literally in the market.
0: Oh, just wait till I record my intro for this episode. Yeah. You can take that. Yeah, yeah. That'll give you I'll give you plenty of ammunition there. Hey, John, let's talk down the road. I would love to stay I would in touch. This is I mean,
1: uh I'll get them to give you my email. John York. Okay dot com and and please get in touch with me because this has been a ball
0: i i, I would love that this is mean,
1: artists you know what i mean
0: yeah artist to artist this has meant a lot the oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah okay <laughs> it's my pleasure man all right see you later that was the savage wonder of john jory um i can't wait to talk to him again that was just such a uh, such a breath of fresh air just such a great dude and um yeah Got so many questions, I still like to ask them. But that'll be for another time. Okay, what's going on at Veterans Repertory Theater? So many things, it's hard to know where to begin, but I'll pick one. Uh, October 13th, yes, this week. You're listening to the show this very week. If you are in the greater Rockland, New York area, at SUNY Rockland, Thursday night, we're having a, a public workshop of a brand-new play by Anton Sattler, who's been on the show before. His play, Local Gods, will be getting a public workshop so that we can uh, you know, read it out loud. Anton's never heard it top to bottom before. And then we'll have audience feedback at the end. So you guys get to talk. Tell us what you think of the play, what you liked, what you didn't like. You'll hear from the actors. Everybody will be talking. So very cool thing. It's free tickets. It's at SUNY Rockland at 7 p.m. Uh, so if you're in the area, stop by easy, low maintenance, uh, way to see a very cool new show. And the, at the very first step of its development, i um, very excited. And uh, anyway, it's going to be really cool. SUNY Rockland is beautiful. Um, our friends over there really just the cultural arts theater. There's just gorgeous. So anyway, be a really cool space. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to see you over there. The parlor's up and running. So, again, if you're in the Orange County, Rockland, Westchester area, and you want to stop on over and see what's going on on our Saturday night parlor shows, come on over. We got the 39 Steps going with live sound effects, four actors playing 139 characters with uh, live sound effects. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. It's all a spoof of Hitchcock. It's a just a really fun, fun Saturday night. So, coming out, check that up. And if you're like, dude, enough, I'm not going anywhere near New York anytime soon, no worries. November 11th, Veterans Day, that night at 7 p.m. at Principal Gallery in Old Town, Alexandria, on King Street in Virginia, we will have the very first Savage Wonderground featuring Dex, featuring Buck Bulliard, featuring Jesus Daniel Hernandez, and Invader Girl. All people that have been on this show, all doing their thing. It is a thematic, immersive, theatrical experience slash micro festival. It's just going to be this awesome, very, very, very veteran-themed uh, artistic uh, immersion in um, a very cool, world-class art gallery space. I'm just very excited for Savage Wonderground to get off the ground. And obviously, launching it on Veterans Day seems appropriate. It will be um, probably a little bit more um, autobiographical in theme than it otherwise would be. It seemed like that fit the paintings that invader girls could be displaying. Um, I think that's where we're going to go with it, but anyway, very cool stuff. So come by and check that out. And I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say. So um, yeah, come back, check in with us next week. I can't remember who the guest is. We may not have booked it yet. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, um i need to thank our producer mike neal for crushing it and getting this episode out and that's really it guys i will see you next time i'm christopher paul meyer on behalf of veterans repertory theater see you next time we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all